FYI, and I don't mean fake news, this podcast contains huge spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast that goes snicked. I'm your host, Jason. I got your master form right here, baby. Venable. And <laughs> it's going to be a doozy of a flashback episode. going to be kind of a, a 1990 catch-all episode. I have a big old stack of comic books from 1990 to talk about um, and kind of burn through. And we'll probably go through them fairly quickly. I'm not going to rush or anything. I'm going to I'm going to record this in pieces, so there's no, no necessary time crunch or anything. I just don't know if I have a whole lot to say about a lot of this. No, I, I might some of it, but um, yeah, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to hit just some kind of odds and ends from 1990. Um, kind of get the flashback back on track. Flashback, back on track. Flashback, back on track. Yeah, uh, put to that and, <laughs> you know. Make your own little song. Yeah, that that one's free, guys. It's free. Um, yeah. So we're gonna cover some Marine series. We're gonna cover some Marvel Fair. We're gonna cover some Uncanny X Men. We're gonna cover some Summer Annual Goodness. Um, and we're gonna cover some Marvel Comics Presents. It's a bunch, folks. Well, like I said, I don't know. It's I don't know. What, what is We'll do it, and we'll do it to it, and whatever whatever happens, happens. Okay, Sarah, Sarah, right? All right. Well, so enough of that. Enough preamble. Let's get to the actual books. That's what you're here for, right? Um, so we're going to start off with a four-parter in the Wolverine series called The Lazarus Project. This runs from Wolverine number 27 through 30. Now, I have two confessions I need to make. On the last flashback episode, I had said that next time when we did a flashback, we would kick off Hammer Time <laughs> with the addition uh, of Larry Hammer to the book. You know, famed G.I. Joe writer and had quite a lengthy run on, on Wolverine also. Because um, I thought in my mind that he did an arc and then was joined on the second arc by Mark Silvestri. My memory was bad, faulty, whatever. They actually start together after this arc. They start on 31 um, at the same time as, as the new creative team on the book, um, which is cool. Um, also, uh, confession number two. I don't remember exactly what issue... But at some point in in flashback past, I talked about how we got, and I'd have to look at the covers to remember exactly which one. But one of the Wolverine issues in the early teens, I had said that, hey, this is where I stopped reading as a youngster. And, um, you know, didn't pick back up until the mid to late 40s um, of the book. Well, as I I was looking at this book, I remembered... 
And we're going to talk about this cover to number 27 in a second. An awesome Jim Lee cover. And I remember seeing it on the shelves, and just like Wolverine is jumping off the cover, this cover jumped out of me. And I was like, oh, i got to try this. And so I bought it and read it and did not like it <laughs> and jumped back out. it. so I, I dipped my toe back in Wolverine for an issue because of the cover and did not really enjoy what was going on. I was like, okay, well, I'll just read him in X-Men. I don't, I don't need this. And, and that is really when I, when I jumped back in in the mid forties. Um, so I forgot about this issue that I did actually read it as a kid. Um, so I didn't lie. I just had, had a bad memory again. So that, that's two confessions around my failing faulty memory. But, um, and a little bit of spoiler about the story we're about to talk about. <laughs> but uh, first up is Wolverine number 27. This is written by Joe Duffy. Art by John Buscema coming back. And Dan Green on the inks. Ken Bruzniak, the bruiser. I don't know if anyone called him that or not. I just did. Um, <laughs> is the letterer. And Gwyneth Oliver is the colorist. Um, on the cover, we have an awesome cover by Jim Lee. It's one of my all-time favorites, not just of Wolverine, but just comic covers in general. Um, we have some handy-dandy 90s action lines with the color fade from red down to white, top to bottom. And the jumping out with the action lines is just a crazed Wolverine in a very classic pose. He's got one leg kind of kicked up, the other leg straight back, uh, a foot hiding behind his knee, and he's got his arms outstretched, claws popped, and he's he's literally launching himself at you, the reader. Uh, his face, his eyes are widened out for a dramatic effect, um, and he's snarling, and even has a little bit of battle drool. That's what you call it when when good guys drool when they're fighting, right? Battle drool. I just may just coined that, but I like it. Um, it's just, it's an awesome, awesome, awesome cover. Cannot throw enough awesomes in front of this cover and how much I like it. Um, and it did make me try this story. But, you know, as we get into it, you know, here's kind of here's kind of what happens. So, actually, well, anyway, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. All right, so, we open in a Madripoor alley. Patch and Wolverine get mud. That's not right. Patch is Wolverine. Patch and Tiger. Tiger. <laughs> I wrote, wrote that wrong in my notes. Uh, anyway, they get mugged, but the thieves pick the wrong target. Not that they need it, but Karma also helps out from the shadows. We catch up on Karma's status quo, then uh, visit the Prince's Bar to get the new Madripoor status quo. Some mercenaries drop off the master form in a secluded village, which means somebody else is looking for it. And that somebody is General Coy, who needs it for the Lazarus Project. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, Jessica Drew stumbles into a lab and overhears treacherous plans before being discovered and attacked by a giant robot named, yeah, this is right, this is real, Pinocchio. And remember that Jessica Drew is currently a bodyguard for Prince in Madripoor. Um, the pirate formerly known as Prince. <laughs> anyway, uh, Patch finds her beat up and uh, sends her and Lindsay McKay back to the States. 
Wolverine says his secret identity be damned and attacks the palace where he fights Robo Pinocchio, but he can't pierce the metal, which is weird. Interesting point. Um, and he gets splashed by magic potion and jumps out the window and falls into the bay. Okay. So, not a lot to say about this. The art, I mean, it's good to have Basima back. Art's pretty good. I don't mind that Jessica's going back home. I don't like that her impetus for going back home is that she got beat up and Wolverine packed her bags for her. Um, being a really big fan of modern Jessica Drew and Spider-Woman, I would like to have seen her do something of her own volition. Not get taken out so easily, first of all. And second of all, when she wanted to go home, be like, okay, I'm going home now. My choice. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, there's a really cool double snicked on page 26, if you're following along, when he tries to stab the robot and his claws are forced back into his hands. Um, that's got to hurt. Um, yeah. I also, the cool thing about the double snicked is there's two boxes panels on the bottom of the page in a row. One of them is the panel with Wolverine crouched in a narration box. And the next panel is the same art. Drop the word box and get the double snicked. So, like, it's that fast, right? Kind of that, that sense of, like, this happens in the blink of an eye. I thought it was a really cool way to do that artistically. Um, yeah. So, the art is pretty good. The story is, is good, this first issue. I actually like this issue better than I remembered. Um, there's no real indication yet of what the Lazarus Project is. It's just kind of this ominous name floating above everybody's head. Um, and then there's a lot of recap and setup with Madripoor and the supporting cast. But, you know, that, that's good stuff. That's stuff that in 90s Wolverine you like because that's that's his stomping ground. So, um... I think it'd be pretty fair to this one. Um, and a lot of it is the art. You know, having Basima back on the book helps. Um, but I'm going to give Wolverine number 27 four out of six claws. Um, I don't know if that uh, charity, <laughs> if you will, is going to continue. But let's, let's see. So next up, we have Wolverine number 28. Um, I think we get some changes here. Yeah, so Joe Duffy's still writing. Uh, Barry Kitson is the penciler. I remember him more from DC, I feel like. But um, yeah, here he is. Um, Keith Williams is the inker. Jim Novak is the letterer. And Nell Yamtov is the colorist. Uh, we now have a series of covers starting this issue by Mark. Shirello, maybe? Um, his covers are pretty cool. I really like his color palette. It's very faded, uh, kind of muted tones. On this one, we have Wolverine crouching over a pile of bodies with a white wall in the background with some ancient letters uh, graffitied on the wall. Um, he's got claws out of one hand and the other hand reaching for something. And he's looking over his shoulder and lost his shadow. It's a really cool cover. Really cool. All right. So this issue, Wolverine wakes up in Rumika, 
which is the village that has the master form, um, and he wakes up with amnesia. He saves a villager from a shark attack, so they offer him refuge until his mind returns. Wolverine endears himself to the villagers and finds peace, so now we wait to see what terrible thing happens to them, right? <laughs> that's that's a, a very much a serial superhero trope. If they are somewhere where they're not normally and things are going really well, you know that not only is something bad going to happen to them, but all the people around them. So we'll wait and see what, what that is. Um, right on cue, some mercenaries attack the village looking for the master form. They gun down Wolverine and the villagers. Of course, Wolverine has a healing factor, so he wakes up in a berserker and takes out the mercenaries with his bare hands because he forgot he had claws in adamantium. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Karma is lurking around, too. She followed to the village. Uh, she was looking for Wolverine. Um, and the master form is now safe, and Wolverine remembers who he is, so there's going to be hell to pay. Um, by the way, the master form is kind of this ironically named it's kind of a formless rock like a magic rock um, without any really particular shape <laughs> so I guess it's the master to be formed I don't know but anyway I did want to mention kind of what that looked like since it is going to be a a prop that runs through this story um, so a really great first page by Mr. Kitson of Wolverine kind of climbing out of the harbor uh, looks pretty cool. Um, you know, with the, I don't know who I am. Um, and on page two, there's some good writing on the last panel. Um, he says, they won't attack unless I force them to. And I won't attack unless they make me. They aren't enemies. They came on me by chance. If they had attacked me, I'd have killed them all. What made me come here? When he finds the villagers, he has kind of a, I don't want to fight them, but they might fight me. But if they don't fight me, I don't have to fight them. And I don't know. It's just a, it's a, it's a cool little thing. Um, then kind of just skip, skip, skip uh, through the action. And a really cool last page uh, when Wolverine remembers who he is. He's standing over the bodies of his newfound friends. And with a single tear rolling out of his eye, we get a snicked. And the claws are out, and he says, I'm Wolverine. That's a pretty cool moment, pretty good page. Um, this art is, has its moments. The first page is really cool. The last page is really cool. Everything in between is just kind of okay. It's not bad by any stretch. Definitely serviceable. You can tell what's going on. It's just nothing particularly dynamic about it. Um... And the story is not bad either, but it has become super predictable. Um, maybe it's a, a disservice by reading it years later after some of these tropes have been done to death. Um, but I was like, okay, well, this is going to happen, and I'm going to turn the page. This is going to happen. Oh, we're setting this up. Here it happens. Um, so, I mean, it's fine. Uh, because the art was a little bit of a step down, I'm going to step this comic down as well. And again, Wolverine number 28, three out of six claws. And that's going to take us to number 29. Another really cool cover by Brian Chirello. Um, 
It's Wolverine coming out of like bloody water from the waist up. He's got claws out and almost almost that Frank Miller-esque like one hand motioning for you to come here. Um, he's got a red X, I guess, in blood painted across his chest. He's all in dark shadow. Um, the shadow is a little unfortunate with the mouth because of the bright. He's, he's all in shadow with bright pink lips and white teeth. Kind of looks a little um, maybe racially insensitive. I don't think the artist meant that at all. Um, I just, I think, you know, being in a place where we say, where everyone can acknowledge that blackface is a horrible thing. Um, <laughs> it just kind of looks a little odd, and that's kind of what jumped out at me. But like I said, I don't, the artist, no intention of that, I'm sure. Um, and other than that, it's a really pretty great cover. So what happens in this issue? Well, Wolverine regains his memory after getting shot in the head. Just like in Wolverine Origins where he loses his memory by being shot in the head with the adamantium bullet. Um, so he makes a funeral pyre as he mourns the villagers of Rumika. And then we get four full pages of recap. Target, the good mercenary who helped Wolverine, tells an incredibly boring and nondescript story about how the master form got his family killed as a kid and as complicit... No, I'm sorry. I can't read my handwriting. As campfire stories drag on and on, Wolverine hears more bad guys approaching. So Wolverine, Target, and... I'm sorry, Target. <laughs> and Karma ambush their attackers. They leave the master form where no one can find it in the village where everybody's looking for it. And head to Madripoor. So, on page 25, there's a really nice snicked, um, let me get there, where they leave the campfire, the mercenaries find the campfire, like, hmm, and in the narration, they don't know what hit them yet, or what's about to. And there's a double snick behind them, um, and he says, Hello! Is it me you're looking for? And as Karma distracts them, and they're like, oh, take the rock. And then Wolverine jumps out of the grass, claws extended. Um, that's a pretty nice little sequence. The story is not without nice sequences. Um, I really don't understand at all why they would leave the magic rock where everybody is looking for it. Like, why not? I think, I mean, it's kind of a cool little thing. Like, hey, I'm going to leave this here with the people that are supposed to protect it as a tribute. That's fine, but everybody's looking for it. Why not like hide it or, or bury it or something? I don't... It just seems like a really bad decision-making. Um, oh. I didn't need the credits on this one. Hold on. Uh, cause that's, so this is Joe Duffy and Barry Kitson again. Al Milgram does the inks this time, and not to Kitson's favor. Um, Jim Novak, the letter again, and this time Greg Wright is the colors. This book is visually... Not good. It's kind of ugly. Um, you know, Milgram has a tendency to, to draw Drake covers and really stiff interiors, and his inking kind of overpowers Kitson, whose first his issue 28 was not super dynamic, but had some okay action. But now everything looks super stilted and cardboard with Milgram's inks, and that's, that's unfortunate. Um, as far as the story, this is the worst chapter so far. It just was really kind of boring. Um, Tarje is, is not really very interesting 
sorry, target. It's not very interesting. Um, yeah, I'm going to give Wolverine 29, two out of six claws. So let's wrap up the Lazarus Project with number 30. And I won't forget the credits this time. Number 30, still written by Joe Duffy. Pencils by Bill Jaska, maybe. Uh, inked by Joe Rubenstein and Jim Novak, still doing the letters. And this time, Steve Uccellato does the colors. Another cover by Brian Shirillo. This one sees him leaning down in front of the Robo Pinocchio. Uh, again, great colors, great design, great cover. I like it quite a bit. All right. So as Wolverine and company head back to Madripoor, the broker, who is the guy that's helping the prince, deduces that Patch and Wolverine are the same. Wolverine and co. go to the palace for General Koi, where Wolverine gets a rematch with Robo Pinocchio. General Koi sees that Karma has betrayed him. Remember, she was helping him because he promised to look for her niece and nephew, I think. Yeah. Um... So Pinocchio is somehow Target's brother. Robot brother hug. Robot? <laughs> anyway, they, they hung it out. Um, Wolverine moves in for the kill on General Koi, but Karma stops him because she still needs his help to find her brother. Oh, her brother and sister. Sorry, not needs a nephew. Um, but she gives him a stern warning to quit stringing her along. Or else. And we're done. <laughs> Uh, so on page six, the story proposes that Wolverine is thought to be a cyborg with cybernetic claws. Obviously, that doesn't work with bone claws, but it's also easy to retcon because it's just it's really just the bad guy surmising that like, like the bad guy describes him as as a cyborg and cybernetic. So he could just be wrong. Um, and that's that's an easy kind of brush under the rug retcon. Um Pinocchio on page 18 is very similar to Wolverine. Um, he pops his claws out. Wolverine pops his claws out. So he has little knives that come out of the back of his hand from the robot armor. Well, not little. They're actually pretty huge. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so so a similar kind of MO on fighting. Um, so four issues come and gone. Um, I, I don't, I have some questions. <laughs> so wait, what exactly is the Lazarus Project? It might be taking people and putting consciousness in killer robots. Um, you know, Lazarus from the biblical story is a guy that, that Jesus raised from the dead. Are they killing people to put in the robots? Are they bringing the robots back to life? I don't I don't really know. And what the hell is a master form for? What does it do? There's like no... So we don't really get a good sense of what is actually happening with the Lazarus Project. Um... We know the master form is important to it. Never told why, how it works, why everyone's dying to protect it. Um, it's a magic 
rock somehow, but how doesn't really seem to matter to to anybody, including the writer of the story. And I think I like Joe Duffy. She's done some stuff that I really liked before. Um, this is just not one of them. Um, the art is a jarring tonal difference for this story. Like just the tone is is very very different. It's very kind of clean comic strippy. Um, it's very different. It doesn't really fit the story. It's not bad, but it just it's not real great either. Um, so as far as the story goes, nothing is resolved, and even less is explained. Boo. <laughs> and yeah, I, I wrote another note here that this story is why it took me so long to get back into reading Solo Wolverine. So I don't remember if I had read past 27 as a kid. I don't think I did. Um, cause I hadn't re rebuy those issues at one point as an adult. So I think I only had 27 and, and liked that less as a youngster than I did this time around. Um, but yeah, no, this is not, not a highlight uh, for the Wolverine solo series. I'm hoping that that Larry Hammond or Hammond jumps in with with a bang. I know I like a lot of his his run or the parts that I read growing up. Um, I'm hoping it starts off really strong because this story is kind of a stinker. Um, I'm gonna give did I rate? Yeah, I gave 29 two out of six claws. I'm gonna give 30 as well two out of six claws. Um, and kind of just a forgettable, no real lasting implications that I'm aware of story. I don't know if the Master Form or Lazarus Project is ever revisited. I don't remember it if it was. So anyway, um, yeah, that's our, our solo Wolverine for the summer of 1990. Um, so we have a couple of Marvel fanfares. Um number 54 and 55 where Wolverine has a backup story in this anthology book um number 54 we have a Todd Smith cover the back by Rich Howell um, who does the story I think he, let's see, I think he writes it as well um yeah so this story where does it start yeah, everything by Richard Howe, who was doing my least favorite Marvel Comics Presents covers. Uh, this back cover's not bad. Some kids around a campfire and telling a story of a crazy naked Wolverine. <laughs> um, on the front is Black Knight. And he's flying around on his horse in front of a big, floaty, smoky, red face trying to catch him. Um... Anyway, uh, we start off on the inside cover by Editori Al, which is Al Milgram. Um, it starts off about shilling a Wolverine backup story for sales, <laughs> which is obviously what happens here because this story is of, of no consequence and maybe even less quality. Um, so in this first one, Wolverine gets captured by Stealth Incorporated. Ooh, and another Madripoor alley. Lot, they have lots of alleys. Lots of things happen in Madripoor alleys. Um, so they take him to a mad scientist in Ontario who wants to use him to unlock the secrets of making animal-man hybrids. 
um, there's a point in this book where he's in his cage with his claws out. Uh, no, <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> oh, by the way, never found out if uh, Pinocchio was made out of adamantium or not, or if there was some other reason Wolverine couldn't cut it. But uh, anyway, um, <laughs> we left that story. Uh, we're we're going to talk about this crappy story. Um, the art is way too archy for me. I'm just not a Rich, Rich Howe fan. And as far as the story goes, no thanks. Um, I'm going to give Marvel Fanfare number 54, at least the Wolverine part, one out of six claws. I did not care for this. The less said, the better. Um, number 55, same scenario. This time there's a, a, a cover with the New Mutants uh, by Doran. Um, in this one, Wolverine escapes by playing possum twice. No, really. Twice he plays possum on the bad guy to get away. Um, and he lets the family go to. Uh, the dialogue is worse than the story, which is worse than the art, which is terrible. Um, I actually gave number 55 zero out of six claws. I was kind of annoyed that I read this very short, like, few-page story. Like, just, no, no thanks. Um... Yeah, yeah, don't you not care for that at all. So the less said about that, the better. If that's your bag, man, enjoy it. Live it up. Have fun. Not for me. Okay, so real quickly, I think it's I meant I did not make good notes here. Um I think it's two sixty-five where Storm thinks about Wolverine, and so we'll talk about it real quickly. Um, Uncanny X-Men, speaking of Bill, Jessica, here he is again. Um, number 265, mentioned very briefly, um, Chris Claremont, Bill Jaska, Joe Rubenstein, Joe Rosen does the letters, Mike Rockwitz the colors, and we have a, a cool cover by Andy Kubert. Of young Storm, remember after the Siege Perilous? Um, actually, no. She didn't. She's young for a different reason. We'll get that as we go here. Um, but she's Storm at the mercy of the hounds, these green, ghoulish figures in red shirts um, and red bodysuits. So, yeah, I mean, really, this is a story of, of Storm and kind of her trying to regain her memory and her powers as she's a kid being a thief in Cairo, Illinois, but gets it confused with her past and memories from Cairo, Egypt. Um, so she's a young kid with short hair. We find out that Nanny and the orphan maker are on her trail because um, they had de-aged her. Um, we eventually find out that the storm that died in the outback was a fake and Orphan Maker and Nanny took Storm's body and, and turned her into a kid to try to use her as one of her kiddos. Um, so Storm has some flashbacks with her family, but her dad's replaced by the Shadow King. She's living in an abandoned plane yard in an old plane, and she has memories of the X-Men, but doesn't really know what's going on. Um, she's confronted with... Some hounds, which are very similar to the hounds we're about to read about, um, or actually, story-wise, about to read about, 
release-wise, just read about. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, yeah. No, I mean, Wolverine is only in this in a memory. Um, the art is pretty good. Story is pretty good. Um, I'd probably give this three out of six claws. It's about to get better. Um, because guess who's coming? Gambit is coming. And I gotta say, these issues kind of made me want to do a Gambit podcast. I don't have time. I can't do it. But, um, because he shows up in 266 for the first time story-wise, not the first time release-wise, which gets confusing. But, um, he saves Storm. And they're... Their initial relationship is so great. And he's so he's such a likable scoundrel. Um couple of weird things in this this issue. Um he doesn't use playing cards, he uses little spikes that he throws, which I forgot about. Um you know, some some subtle little differences, but he's basically the gambit we all know and love. Um other than he also seems to charge things from his eyes. Like his eyes always glow after other people get a hold of him. But he really seems like there's one point where he holds up a plate. And when he holds up the spikes, the energy goes from his eyes and little beams to his hands. Um, and that definitely goes away. He, he eventually, actually pretty quickly, just charges things by touching them. Um, and doesn't need anything particularly from his eyes. Um we also have a, a, a subplot with Mystique going on uh, in this story. This is it's a great issue. Um, Chris, I'm sorry, Mike Collins is the, the penciler in this one. Um, so, but the, the cover by Andy Kubert of Young Storm and Gambit kind of on a, on a hillside walking through some vines is an iconic cover. And man, this, this is one of those issues that took me a long time to get because it was kind of a, you know, Gambit was so popular in the 90s. This was kind of one of those holy grail kind of comics that was always under the glass at the comic shop um, with a pretty hefty price tag. And I actually didn't get this till well, way later. And, you know, in the early 2000s, a lot of 90s heroes, their first appearances dipped. A lot of them have gone back up. <laughs> but there was a time in the early 2000s where... Gambit's appearance is pretty cheap, so I picked it up because I needed to fill the hole, the hole in my soul, or actually just my uncanny X-Men run. Um, <laughs> anyway, Wolverine is not in this one to speak of, but I thought it was really fun. I really enjoyed reading Gambit's first appearance again. The art is not great, so I'm only going to give it five out of six claws, and the colors are pretty bland. Um... But Claremont, I mean, his introduction to Gambit is pretty great. Um, so I would definitely give that a, a quick five out of six. It doesn't really necessarily count for the podcast. But hey, I read it and I'm talking about it, so I'll rate it, right? Um, and then wrapping up with Uncanny X-Men 267, uh, we have another kind of memory of Wolverine as Storm is trying to remember her past. Uh, this issue... We have a cover by Wow Spartatio and Jim Lee and Bob Wyanchek. And it's a great cover of this woman, uh, this sexy Asian woman. Um, 
and a midriff that barely covers her boobs. And she's, I don't know if it's a coloring or if it's supposed to be fishnet. Anyway, she has a glass of champagne looking all come hither. And she's got Gambit kind of by her hip. She's holding his head as the hounds try to eat a little storm. Um, and yeah, but also in this book, oh man, it's pretty rad. Um, we have art by homage studios, which I didn't realize they used. I forgot they used that name pre image, but it's Jim Lee and Wells Portacio. Um, where are the actual credits? Are they not so later in the book? Yeah. So obviously Chris Claremont, the writer, art by Homage Studios, which oh, which also includes Scott Williams. Uh, Tom Orjakowski back as the letter, and Glennis Oliver sorely missed back as the colorist on this book. And you can tell, man, this book just pops. Um, this art is great. And it's funny now, and I don't think I could as a kid, but now I can kind of tell like what pages Portacio did and what pages we did. But um Storm and, and Gambit are running away from the hounds and this, this lady who's working for the Shadow King. Um, some great action. Um, Gambit now has playing cards. Uh, so, And we get Portacio introduces the classic Gambit move where he throws him around his body and the energy and the card kind of jutting out of the semicircle. Like, oh man, it looks so great. It's so dynamic and and cool looking and, and some of the better part of, of art in the nineties or things like that. Um, yeah, I actually think he's still maybe using his, no, his eyes still glow and light up and they don't connect to the card when he, when he powers it up. So yeah, he has his, his bow staff in full effect in this issue. Um, his costume design is a little bit cleaner. We're just having better artists. He uses a broom. <laughs> Just thought that was funny. Um, and as, uh, you know, Storm has a picture of the X-Men, um, we get the full story of when Havoc thought he killed her, but the aliens, um, yeah. Let's see exactly what she says. Yeah, she left a fake body so she could take Storm and de-age her. I don't really know what the purpose of her, that part's kind of weird, maybe kind of dumb, but... Young Storm is pretty cool, so it's okay. And her and Gambit make an awesome team. And this is a really fun team up. And because the art's so good in this book, it made the issue really cool. And then they go to New Orleans. Um, Gambit takes Storm to New Orleans, where they just kind of have a fun life. Um, till the Orphan Maker and Nanny show back up to try to re reclaim her kiddo. Um, we get another like half page of Gambit throwing three cards this time. Oh, it looks so great. This one's by, uh, I think this one's Jim Lee. Um, maybe I can't tell them as part as much as I thought <laughs> in this issue. I mean, Scott Williams is inking the whole thing. So it's, it's pretty consistent looking. There's no like abrupt changes, but, uh, anyway, Storm saves the day eventually by getting in the armor that was intended for her, but it doesn't control her. And so they escape and Storm has her memories back and she wants to find her friends slash family, the X-Men. And that's going to play into where they show up next. Um, yeah, I would give this issue, I know Wolverine like his head's in it for like a second, 
but yeah, such a great issue. The writing picks up maybe even a little better than than the last couple, but I mean, those mainly were were not as good for the art. But I would give this a total six out of six claws. And I gotta say, Gambit's first story is pretty great. I mean, him and Storm together are so much fun, and really kind of does. I mean, seeing that there's already some pretty drastic change to his character early on as far as his powers and stuff kind of makes me want to be like you know keeping track of him I don't know probably won't but you know if I wasn't already so invested in this part if I was starting over right now doing a podcast then I might can be talked into doing a Gambit one but call it a Gambit's Gumbo <laughs> that's a good name for a Gambit podcast I think um Anyway, so that all to say that Storm and Gambit are going to show up in the Days of Future Present, which was a four-part, it wasn't a line sorry, a line-wide summer annual event in 1990, but I think there were a couple of different events, and this Days of Future Present goes across Fantastic Four, New Mutants, X-Factor, and Uncanny X-Men. Um... With, you know, Uncanny X-Men number 14 annual. Um, so there is a backup in the Fantastic Four annual that, that focuses on Volcana. And of course, one of her big kind of story beats happened in Secret Wars. And then the flashback panel they show to choose to show includes her trying to blast Wolverine. Um... So this story is, this issue is pretty good. Uh, the Fantastic Four kickoff of this story is pretty great. The backups aren't bad. Um, you know, it's, it's by Walter Simonson and Jackson Geis. Um, I would give Fantastic Four annual 23. Uh, probably pretty strong. I don't know, if you do the whole thing, because there's also like a cosmic history. It's really cool. Like Just an explanation of of all the cosmic entities and how they relate and stuff, you know, as far as 1990 is concerned. Um, and it's pretty cool. Um, I would probably give the annual overall either four or five out of six claws. Um, we'll, we'll say five. Um, all right, so Days of Future Present, in a nutshell. Uh, in Rachel's future, as Franklin died, he went back to his younger self in the past, the happier times. He used his younger self to maintain his existence and track down Rachel in the present past. <laughs> or past present. However you want to call it. Um, excuse me. This causes all kinds of problems, including Ahab and the time bobby. <laughs> uh, it's his job to hunt down people that, that jump through time from his his future. Because um, they want to get away because it's a terrible future. But he, he won't let them. It's his job to prevent that. Um... Eventually, he sees the error of his way. Oh, sorry. Eventually, Franklin sees the error of his ways and says goodbye. Um, uh, kind of a little thing here. There's a couple of times in this story that there's big hints that Ahab is Cable. Um. So I don't. As far as I know, 
That is never followed up on again. But I'll be looking out for that as I get into like the rest of Liefeld's New Mutants transition into X-Force. Um, there's also another little kind of interesting, because we know the future bit, where Storm is talking about kind of some things that have been going on, and they mention Mr. Sinister, and Gamma says, that's a silly name. And of course, we know that later, it's going to turn out that he was involved with Mr. Sinister. So it is a silly name, you know, with the, the similar sounding syllables. But also, you can you can re- retro read that as Gambit playing it off like, oh, <laughs> Mr. Sinister, uh, uh, that's a, a silly name. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, who would, that, yeah, who would name that or, or want to be with that guy? Um, so anyway, just kind of a headcanon uh, there of, of maybe his uh, calling it out, calling attention to it to try to not call attention to it. You know, like to deflect maybe a little bit because he knows where he came from. Um, of course, in 1990, no, no clue of that being a, a connection at all. Um, it's just him making a quip. But I, I like to think that that he was already having stuff to hide. Um, there's a backup in the Uncanny X-Men annual where Wolverine gives Jubilee an X-Man history lesson and has a moral argument with Franklin and Rachel. There are so many words in this story, this backup story. Um, yeah. Hmm. Um, which one is that? Oh, yeah. This is uh, written by Chris Claremont, penciled by Mark Hut Hut Heike, inked by Jeff Eicherwood. Colors by Nell. Why does my last name sound like something out of Star Blazers Yamtov? And lettered by Mike Heisler. Um, we have a really cool Art Adams cover uh, with Ahab. So there's a couple of things. So they, they mentioned that a couple of people comment how similar they look. And Ahab has the same kind of scar on his face. So it's just the idea that, that maybe in the future Cable turns into Ahab. Um, there are metal parts involved with both as well, but I don't think anyone ever picks up on this. Um, I'm going to give the uncanny annual four out of six claws, but man, that back of a Wolverine had so many words. (laughs) Oh, it took forever to read. It's only a few pages. Um, there's probably a few hundred words per page. Gosh. Um, not the best part of the issue, but I mean, the, the, the days of future present overall, Wolverine's not actually in any of that part at all. Um, it's not a bad story. It doesn't make me, I've always wondered because people talk about how cool Ahab is and you read him in modern day stories and he's not cool. Um, I've always wondered like, well, maybe it's just one of those cases that's happened sometimes that you need to go back and read the debut and it makes you fall in love with the character. Um, I liked it maybe better than I do in modern stories, but it, it doesn't make me be like, oh, he's awesome. I love him now. No, I, I don't. No, he's fine. He's just kind of a, a bad guy <laughs> doing his job, trying to be bad. Um, so, yeah. But that's our, our, our summer event for 1990. The, the Wolverine is, is only in a couple of backups. I mean, I guess he interplays in the story in that he does talk 
to Franklin and Rachel um, and convinces them not to, I don't know what, remake the world, I guess. Um, anyway. All right. So two issues of Marvel Comics Presents. Um, I gave John a, a hall pass on these two. It's not a very good story and uh, I think I want to save up for the next. The next story is a, a pretty long Ghost Rider story with Wolverine, which I'm pretty excited to to talk about, having never read it. I think he's read it. I don't know if he would share my excitement. But um, anyway, um, 62 and 63. Uh, 62 is Sign of the Beast, The Quest of Abdul Alhazred, written by Dwight Zimmerman, penciled by Paul Ryan, inked by Harry Candelario, letters by Todd Klein, and colors by Nell Yamtob. So he was getting some work in 1990. Um, we have a Paul Ryan cover of Wolverine jumping out of a full moon, um, down on three guys running away. A kind of sheikish character with a little headdress, um, a green beret looking guy, and an Indiana Jones or Magnum P.I. looking guy. Um, yeah. So, here's what we get in this comic. Um. After escaping an attack by the Wild Dogs of Madripoor, which is my next band name, um, <laughs> Wilby recognizes Archie's plane flying too low for comfort and decides to check it out. Segway aboard said plane, we find that the Sheik has kidnapped Archie and Tiger Tiger. Tiger gets lippy and then a comedy of errors causes the plane to crash in the jungle Wolverine finds him, but is in a berserker after fighting back the dogs from earlier. He takes Archie Corrigan. The bad guys follow him into the jungle, finding Archie's bloody shirt. As all, including Tiger Tiger, assume the worst. She's like, oh no, my friend, what have you done? You've given in to the animal and killed your friend. You'll never forgive yourself. And will you kill me? So I'm kind of a, a moral, not moral, uh, an internal conflict with Tiger Tiger there. Um, yeah, so number 63. Uh, same credits, I believe. Sign of the Beast Part 2 of 2 is Prey. Yeah, exact same credits. But this cover by Brett Blevins is a highlight. Uh, he likes to feather out, like give Wolverine's wings more of a, in his hair, like, like little hand, almost like antlers, kind of. Um, but anyway, here we have Wolverine in shadow, crouching with his costume all ripped up, one glove on, one glove off, his face in shadow. You see eyes and teeth. I think the difference where this one looks completely just badass as opposed to iffy, um, no lips colored in. <laughs> so it's just a f eyes and mouth coming out of shadow, which is a pretty common comic thing to happen um and then yeah it's a really really rad cover um yeah man i like it a lot um all right so in this story wolverine takes out the hunting party one at a time ending with the sheik turns out archie is alive and wolverine was just faking a berserker to scare the bad guys i kind of hate this but throw that out there um so the story overall is pretty meh. Uh, Two-parter with no explanations is annoying. Because uh, there's a part where Wolverine it 
confronts the sheik and tears off his shirt. And the big thing with the sheik is he intimidates everybody because he has a tattoo of his boss on his chest. And people are like, oh, oh, I'll do what you say. I don't want to piss off that guy. And even Wolverine comments, this might come back and bite me taking out the sheik because I recognize the boss or, or at least recognize the tattoo and, you know, there may be constant, there may be some retribution for this down the road. As far as I know, there is not. Um, you know, and that might work as a setup to either a longer story or be a story that comes back to it later. Maybe. Might make this better. As a two-part story that I'm pretty sure is completely standalone, it's kind of dumb to introduce that idea and not give it any kind of payoff. And the reader, as a reader, we don't see the tattoo at all. So we can't even, I mean, we're just completely in the dark as to what's on his chest. And it's not a cool thing like what's in the suitcase in Pulp Fiction. It's like, oh, well, that's annoying. <laughs> um, so the art is fine. It's, it's pretty standard. The story was too frustrating for me to enjoy. So I'm going to give both of these issues two out of six claws. And I know I burned through a whole stack of comics there. I really did. Um, but that's because I want to get to other stuff. <laughs> um, as far as big implications for Wolverine, really in all of that, not much. Um, really the biggest like story continuity thing is the introduction of... Oh, I forgot to talk about that. So let's talk about that for just a second. So Storm and Gambit... Um, you know, the annual, X-Men annual, where they show up, which takes place after Uncanny X-Men 267, actually came out before 266. And there's some people that would argue that Gamma's actual first appearance is in the Uncanny X-Men annual, even though he is clearly introduced in 266. Um, which is, I think, led to a little bit of price inflation of the annual as well. Um Anyway, I just thought that was interesting, and, and just to let you know that even back then, Marvel had trouble getting stories printed in order and on time, um, especially when it came to events. <laughs> so that's not just a modern problem for Marvel. That is something that, that at least... Oh, because the other thing about that, that annual series is two and three were shipped out of order um, and even mislabeled on the covers. And there's, there's a cover to Fantastic Four annual is part one of four. And then X-Factor, part two of four. New Mutants, part three of four. But then the Uncanny X-Men concludes. But in both New Mutants and X-Factor, there are notes that stuff got done out of order, so you need to read New Mutants first, even though the cover says part three, because it's really part two, even though it comes out next week or two weeks or whatever. And so you may want to set this aside. <laughs> um, so anyway, and, and there's a big long paragraph in the back of New Mutants about how all the issues came up. Liefeld was supposed to draw and he didn't, I think, right? I don't think he drew it. Yeah, and he was supposed to draw and instead um, Shoemaker, who did some not so great fill-ins for X-Factor and New Mutants in the 90s, or late 80s, early 90s, uh, does the art. So anyway, just kind of a, a, a circus of an event. Um, probably was a nightmare to try to read in real time, but luckily I have the, uh, 
The only thing I got confused about was the, the parts being wrong on the cover. And also, I think some reading orders still have it the other way around. Um, but regardless, yeah, really, I mean, the biggest, coolest thing is Gambit showing up in all of these, and that's not even Wolverine-related. Um, the only way it could be Wolverine-related is that they'll have lots of interaction in the future, being the, probably the two most popular X-Men in the 90s. Um, so, yeah, not not a whole lot to, to talk about, but, but lots of content. <laughs> All right, well, so like I said, I've been doing this in chunks. I don't know when it's going to come out. So I don't know what's going to be next as far as real episodes. The next flashback, uh, I've uh, recruited Georgie to come on and talk about the Alan Davis graphic novel, uh, Blood, not Blood Sport, Blood, Blood Lust. <laughs> Good grief. I had a brain fart there. Um so we'll be talking about that, um, Georgie, of course, from Scalabros. And I mentioned John Wilson, who will, will catch up with us the next time New Marvel Comics Presents. Of course, go check out all his podcasts, um, Make Ours Marvel with Michael Kaiser, that he does is really awesome. And um, all the pouches and image, image comics podcasts is really fun. Um, so yeah, so the, the Make Ours Marvel, all the pouches at Scalabros. Go, go check out all those podcasts. Uh, give, them a, give them a listen. Because um, they'll all be on the show in the nearish <laughs> future. Um, yeah. So that's really rad. Oh, and John also has the... Uh, I don't... I'm trying to remember the name. But I think it's called the Silly Super Sentai. I may have one of those words in the wrong order. But anyway, um, he's doing it with his son, Keenan. And it's, it's going to be great. So at the time I'm saying this, it hasn't come out yet. It probably will be out by the time you listen to this so go check it out um if that's your thing um all those great shows so anyway as far as the podcast that goes snicked uh we'll be back soon with an episode and like i said the next flashback will be the uh, bloodlust graphic novel um so until then hugs and snicks everybody bye bye and snacked